Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am joined uh, once again by my co-host, Wilkie Law. Will, how are you? Doing wonderful. Doing wonderful. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We yeah. were uh, you know, talking about themed birthdays, and I had my, my nephew's first birthday party uh, on Saturday. It was awesome, but I'm feeling the effects of all that candy. So um, we are so thrilled and honored to have Noelle Pickering on the podcast today. Noelle, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Awesome. Well, thank you again um, for taking the time out, and especially when you got uh, two little boys at home that might uh, wake up at any time. We, we appreciate you being, uh, being here and taking a little time out. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm really excited about this. Awesome, awesome. So, Will, do you want to kind of give her a rundown of, uh, you know, what the podcast is and what we hope teachers will get out of it? Yeah, well, uh, we'll say that this is, the podcast was actually Kyle's brainstorm, uh, brainchild to say that we needed to get, wanted to get authentic teacher voices out to the mainstream public and kind of present it in the view from the teacher's lens. Uh, I think a lot of times you hear, we hear from the politicians in and the administrators in all in the news, but to actually get a teacher's point of view of what the classroom looks like, what education looks like. And so that's where we kind of got the idea to do this. And um, again, like I say, just to get authentic voices out there to the mainstream public. Right. Perfect. Perfect. So, so yeah, so... uh, I guess to get started, Noel, what we'd love for you to do is just kind of tell us uh, the story of how you became a teacher, kind of why you became a teacher, and and definitely kind of explain the journey to uh, where you are now as a teacher. Oh, okay, awesome. Um, well, I was probably one of your most ideal students in the classroom as a as a kid, and I just really loved school and I loved um, learning, and so when um, you know, when you're going and you're picking your major in college, one of the things that I really enjoyed was just helping people. And I had kind of toyed about that route with being um, an education major and pursuing that route, but um, I kind of also thought, like, well, how, how could I help people in such a way that might be a little bit more lucrative? <laughs> um, and so I started down the route of, like, pre-med, biomedical science, those um, that skill set and the, and the idea that I wanted to help people and you know about a about a year and a half into it I just realized that I really didn't love like the classes I was taking I was not excited about it and that love of learning that I used to have just really wasn't there and um and so I you know I had this big sit down meeting with my parents about it and I really just asked you know or just kind of discussed like what would be the uh, potential of going into the education uh, field, and they were really excited, and they were they were supportive of that. And so, my sophomore year of college, I switched, um, and so that's how I became a teacher. Um, and then I taught math middle school for several years. I moved in, I moved around the state of Texas just um, because of getting married and other life changes. And then um, eventually, I did some instructional coaching on a middle school campus and about that time is when I started really focusing on math resources 
that I've always really made in for my own class and my own students and seen a lot of success with. And that was kind of just the very beginning of maneuvering the middle. Um, now that's um, that's what I do full time. Awesome. And so the the resources you how long have you been building resources on maneuvering the middle? Gosh, I think um, I think it was probably 2013, 2014 that I. Um, really started it. The blog is what I really started the blog, I want to say in January of 2015. So um, I really enjoy that because it's this way to connect with teachers and provide some ideas. And I noticed that there were tons of ideas for like elementary age students or teachers, but there really wasn't a lot for middle school. And um, so that's why I really love the blog so much. Right. I, I've flirted with, and and I think, you know, we were talking prior to, you know, prior to, you know, why we chose the podcast. I, I was a big proponent between the two of us of the podcast because I struggle to write. Like, um, I, I go it, like from spectrum to spectrum of where I will just write something and not like really edit it at all and just put it out there, which is not particularly useful or I will write something and then like obsessively edit it. So it takes me forever. It's just, and I love the podcast too, because it's, it's really just a conversation. And, and the whole, you know, premise of our podcast is this is just a conversation that we started five years ago when we started teaching together. So, but I do really, um, I I really do appreciate the blog and, and, you know, a lot of the questions we want to ask you about are things that I just read on your blog, which I thought were super practical and, and applicable for teachers. So, um, a question we like to ask everybody also is, um, could you tell us about who your favorite teacher was and why that person was your favorite teacher? Sure. Um, uh, my favorite teacher, this might be a little bit of a unique situation, but my favorite teacher her name was Cindy Carey, and she was actually um, my teacher, quote unquote, um, when I was in my student teaching. And so I had a, a unique situation in that I didn't do like a traditional student teaching um, semester, but um, I, our, my university partnered with a school district and Cindy was like a mentor and her whole entire full-time job was to work with five brand new teachers. And so she, like, she taught me everything I know about teaching. Um, and she was a math teacher and she would come in my room like for a full day, once a week, you know, or a half day, twice a week. And she would just watch me teach and she would help me and she would help me plan. And it, I think it just, was an incredible experience that really like set the tra- trajectory um, for my teaching career. And so it's kind of unique. It's not like a classroom teacher in the sense of I was her student in a you know K through twelve class, but I just learned so much from her. Right, right. And where did you go to college? I went to Texas A and M. Oh, <laughs> the Aggies! I know, I know. We, <laughs> We love being Aggies, right? <laughs> uh, that was, you know, I, I grew up in Wisconsin where le- legitimately there's only one major university, the University of Wisconsin. So the majority of Wisconsin people are Wisconsin fans. Like, it's it's pretty straightforward. Um, okay. But I've never met so many, like, 
rowdy fan bases as I did in Texas be- between like the UT people and the and the Tech and the AM people and the Baylor people and then you know U of H is up there too. It was just, but I will say the the Aggies take it to another level. Yes, we are. We are just really proud fans, and we're typically disappointed every year, <laughs> but um, there's a lot of spirit. <laughs> right, right. And it's the spirit that counts, right? Yes, yes. It's a great school. It's a great school. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so next question is, um, you know, from your experience and, you know, as, you know, a parent with kids who are growing up, what do you think the value is of a really great teacher? has a tremendous impact on their students and you know as a mom I think my perspective has changed now that I have kids um and I'm sure I would do a lot of things differently when I was in the classroom before having kids but I think that you know as a mom my most the thing that I want most for my kids is to love going to school and to love learning and so teachers that can kind of like incite that spark in our kids I think is like invaluable yeah absolutely and it's interesting that you said that it changed being you know now that you're a mom and for me when i came into education i came this non-traditional route um uh through uh you know alternative certification and i came into teaching when my daughter was born okay and so it was kind of like that opportunity for me to grow as a teacher as i'm watching her in her developmental stages and i'm saying okay, now that's giving me greater insight on how to connect with kids even more. So it's almost like a real-world experiment going on in my classroom. As I was growing as a father, I was growing as a teacher because I was getting insight from, so how would I want this presented to my child? How would I want my child to come home about feeling about school and about education and about themselves? So I think it's interesting that you made that connection that now you see it differently having, you know, a four-year-old and almost a two-year-old Yes, I think that's I think that's a really unique perspective that you you have and that you are able to kind of you know do simultaneously because um, it is it's different. I think I I would have you know made things a little bit easier for parents and maybe you know communicated a little more clearly because you know parents are busy and it's it's hard at home and there's only so many hours in the evenings. So I, I do think you're right that once you become a parent, you're you're perspective changes just a little yeah yeah absolutely so so last kind of warm-up question um you know from your teaching experience what is the one thing you wish parents knew about teaching that's a great question and i'll be interested in all kind of agree this seeing as though you have some middle school background um i kind of felt like at middle school like the parent parental involvement like really tapered off um and I just wish that parents knew that, like, teachers still really want the parents involved in their kids' education. And um, I think I can remember my very best year teaching with the year that I had um, really helpful, invested parents. And it doesn't mean all of them were helpful and invested, but, you know, enough to make a difference and an impact and, like, really help, you know, with those small tasks, but also, um, you know, things that would that just like assist, you know, communication-wise, them responding or them asking questions. 
Um, I just think sometimes we, we lose that at the middle school level. And I get it. There's a lot of teachers when kids get to middle school and, it, you know, kids are growing up, so they need to take more responsibility. But I personally think that's something that's still really valuable. Yeah. I, I look back Do to my... Go ahead. Oh, Go ahead. all right. I was just going to say, I, I look back to my time, especially when I started in Houston. Um, and that was the one thing that I was most afraid of. Like, I, I just did not enjoy the parent contact. And, and not that when I did contact parents, it was bad. I just had built it up like I was so nervous, um, you know, because of the language barrier and, and all those things that if I could go back to myself as a beginning teacher, I wish I would have been better and not, not feared it, but really seen it as, you know, parents as a partner and as a resource really to make sure that kids are getting what they need. So, um, yeah, I definitely feel you on the, on the middle school, the parents being, um, a little less involved for sure. And I was just going to add real quick, because you're actually helping me because I'm checking, I'm actually going into middle school for the first time this, uh, 2018, 2019 school year. Um, I'm actually going back into the classroom. I was an instructional coach, math instructional coach for intermediate level in Aldine and for the last three years. But I, um, they're opening up a new middle school near my house and I had to be transferred. Um, and so I think it'll be a good opportunity to work on a dynamic team of teachers and administrators that they're putting together for this new school. And I was just like, hey, I'll be a part of it. And plus, it's in my community. You know, I think it has a lot of value in that. But I was going to ask you, do you think social media and blogging really helps to help, would kind of help to bridge that connect between, uh, you know, in middle school with parents and teachers, knowing that probably the students are online more, the parents are probably online, to be able to connect with them that way? Yeah, I think, um, I think that there's a lot of, like, great tools out there that definitely can be utilized to help connect parents with, you know, with the teacher or students with, you know, kind of make that circle of information. You know, sometimes the teacher gives information to the students, but it doesn't get to the parents or vice versa, you know, and so kind of creating like a loop where the information continues to go around. Um, I know there are some really great digital tools. um, And then I also know that know many years ago just like a basic weekly email was super handy for um for parents to just know like this is what's happening in your our classroom and these are some things you can be looking for um but yeah like remind 101 i know for elementary there's like class dojo that's super helpful but i think it's a little bit geared towards elementary aged kids Uh, but i know as a parent even just getting my son to preschool it's like oh what's today you know what do we need for school today um so i think if there's a way for you know that loop of information to kind of go all the way around that would be really awesome yeah and i and i think and i think too you know with that weekly email and and you know going back to something i wish i would have done like i could have saved myself a lot of headaches when you know kids would go home and and tell their parents one thing, but it was not necessarily the case. And you could have really gotten out in front of a lot of things to, you know, to where parents were up to date and they knew exactly what was going on. Um, It could have saved a lot of confusion on my end and on their end. Yeah. Yeah. I think being proactive is just when, you know, when we're talking about 
parent communication, being proactive is always just a little bit harder up front, but usually, like you said, a lot easier in the long run. <laughs> Absolutely. It's harder, it's harder to build a hole to go dig for the mine to find the guy. <laughs> but once you get down there, it's easy to find, but there it's a go. lot of working up front. So yeah. I'm, all, I'm all about parent involvement. I think that's one of the... I believe that's what made me successful when I made the transition from inclusion teacher to classroom teacher mm-hmm. is that I was so used to communicating in so many different strands as a special education teacher that, you know, you're communicating with the dyad, you're communicating with the behavioral specialist, you're communicating with the curriculum teacher, you know, so there's so many lines of communication that it was easy. It was almost so, of like a welcome relief to kind of only have to communicate with the student and the parent. You know what I mean? Because it's like yeah. I started in the beginning where I called all of my parents just to say, hey, this is who I am, you know. And um, I still never toyed with the idea of a website. I kept trying to get a couple of half-built websites that I've tried when I was in the classroom. But my goal this summer is to actually build my website um, and actually kind of have that as a tool for studying to have notes and things like that on there. So trying to modernize myself in that aspect <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and increase the, the sense of connections with the parents and the students also. Yes, I think that, so. I mean, that sounds like a great plan. And it definitely sounds like one of those tasks you, like, want to accomplish over the summer, not, you know, the second week of school when there's so many other things <laughs> going on. <laughs> but if you set up a really good framework this summer, I bet you'll be really thankful come October. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. Okay, so we're going to take a quick little turn in the conversation. Um, can I talk about education in general? So, um, just want to hear from you. What is your take on the state of education today? You know, when you all introduced the podcast, you kind of talked about how, um, you know, if we turn on the media, we're going to hear a politician standpoint or, um, you know, administrative administrator standpoint but a lot of times the the voice of the teacher is um is not portrayed and so i think i love how y'all want to just bring the voice of the teacher out and then really just like shine the light on all the incredible things going on in the classroom and i kind of feel like that's kind of my stake on education today like you know as as where our society is changing and evolving and globalization and all the different um, things that have happened over the last you know 50 years. Um, I kind of think that today in education, you're going to find what you're looking for. And so you're going to find negative news stories and you might, you're going to find some, you know, funding problems and legislation that we probably don't agree with. But I also think that you're going to find some really incredible classrooms with, um, really awesome teachers and students that love learning. And, um, and so I think that's kind of the, what's really neat about our state of education today is there's, you know, through social media and through, um, you know, the internet, essentially, there is like this voice of the teacher that, you know, collectively is shining the light on a lot of positive things, positive things happening in the classroom and advocating for change. And so I think that's, that's pretty unique of where we are today. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that's so positive with social media, uh, you know, being able to connect teachers. I know even through the podcast and through Instagram and Twitter, I've been able to connect with so many teachers to get so much insight that I would have never gotten 
you know, you know, from teachers saying, "Hey, look, I'll record myself using the swivel and send you the send you the link so you can watch me teaching this lesson on this." And that's the that's the learning. That's creating a true learning community. And I think it is a unique time for us to be teaching. It's like you hear the troubles. We know the troubles that's going on in education. We know the struggle, and it's real. But at the same time, I like what you said when you said, "You will find what you're looking for." And I think that goes to say, you know, there goes a long, long way for, for any teacher to know, is, hey, what are you looking for when you're, when you're going out? Are you looking for those stories that are going to depress you and make you wish you were doing something else? Or are you going to look for those stories that are going to uplift you and kind of put you in a place to, where, to remind you why you came into this field in the first place? Yes, I agree with all of that. And just, you know, people are so willing to help and willing to share. And, you know, 20 years ago, probably outside of what was happening in your classroom and maybe down the hall, you know, we just weren't aware. Right. Okay. Uh, Anthony, you want to chime in on that, Kyle? No, that's, that's good. And, and, you know, that seems to be the, uh, the, the kind of the through line when we ask that question to just about everybody is, um, you know, they are aware and they admit that there are a lot of problems and a lot of things that are going wrong with education. But for the most part, they believe that teachers are doing great things and they believe that, you know, the teaching profession has, you know, the potential to have an incredible impact. So, um, you know, like we said, we just really want to make sure that it, we do our part to to change the narrative and make sure that, you know, not just other teachers, but, you know, hopefully one day the public is starting to really understand and appreciate what's going on in classrooms. your philosophy of education? I feel like I'm on an interview. Um, (laughs) You know when you go to the interview and they have like those questions, it's like, um, so I I kind of thought about that question because I know it's changed over time, right? Um, I think any teachers probably does as we gain more experience. Um, But I really think that there's like two things that um, really impacted my teaching and still impact what I do today. And I think the first one is just like that kids need to know that you, their teacher, like believe in them. And and I think that, you know, especially at the middle school level, like there's so many social things going on. There's so many, uh, you know, different pressures and different um, emotional things going on that kids really need to know, like, you're their champion. Um and I, and I really think when, with that relationship with your students, you know, in, incredible things are able to happen and students are more invested. And so I think that's um, probably my, my main point. But then the other one is that, like, learning is a process in the sense of, I think, you know, we've, we've come a long way in education and now, you know, we're measuring how students are progressing versus, you know, if they can meet the standard or not um, and recognizing that kids – you know, sometimes need extra time to get that standard. But I think general, like teaching kids that learning is a process. And so, um, again, that like love for learning in your classroom and incorporating that. So those are things that are like really important to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's part for the course. But I think to me, I'm, I'm a big proponent of making kids believe in themselves. I think that. 
that's like my target is that you have to get some confidence is, is you know, 80, 80, 80% of what you're going to do. Yes. The skill set, you, you've been doing this stuff, it's just breaking it down to where you understand it, but the confidence in knowing that you do have an idea of what you're doing, um, especially from a math standpoint, because it just kind of builds one on another. You know, you just build it on one skill set after another to keep doing more complex problems. Um, but it's just getting them to just to believe. You can do this. You got this. Yes, yes, I agree. And, and so many kids come to us and really don't have that. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have to build that up within them, you know, small steps, right? Right. Okay. Um, so, now this is a question I get asked a lot also. Um, but in a world where we can calculate just about everything via our phone, there's no need for us to have to do this you know, do the long calculations anymore. What is the importance of learning math skills? Yeah, I, I get that often too. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, I, you're right. Like in this day and age, we can pretty much Google the answer to most things. And that's not just even in math, you know, um, in history, for example, we can, you know, Google a fact or a date or a person. Um, but I think, I think the the importance of math skills really is just the application that kind of goes with it and um, the fact that, you know, like one of the top like desired skills for, a, you know, a company looking to hire is like the ability to problem solve. And I think we like, we learned that in math class, you know, it starts small and, um, and it, you know, grows over time, but essentially we're, we're teaching our students how to solve problems, how to use their brain, how to like persevere when you don't get the right answer or you don't know where your mistake is. Um, and so I think those are all really valuable things that, you know, a calculator can't do for you. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking while you were talking, I was thinking about, you remember the show, um, I may be dating myself a little bit, but um, there, there was a TV show called Numbers. He used to come on with the guy who's a mathematician, and he built these complex algorithms to help the FBI uh, solve these crimes and solve these issues. And did anyone, either one of y'all, remember that show? Am I? I, I do. I do remember it. Um, I don't really recall watching it, but yes, I do. I do remember it. I think it was a CBS show. I remember it vaguely, like not enough to know the characters, but I totally remember it. Right. But I, I was thinking about that, like that is the, I was in a PD last week and that was one of the, yeah, that was in three different PDs and all three of them said the exact same thing, that the top, you know, the top jobs, uh, the job skills that employers are looking for is problem solvers. You know, and how, you know, we as teachers, we're, we're, we're quick because we have so much content to teach to kind of just do the thinking for the kids and just have them do the skill without the thought, you know, teach, and so I think it's, it's different when you actually teach them how to think so that they can actually figure that out on their own. Yes, yes, totally agree. And I think we can all think of those situations, you know, not necessarily a math concept, but an application of a math concept, and you're like, there's no way this is correct because you're using your problem-solving skills, but um, it was funny conversation my sister had about um, like a 
a truck, a moving truck. And the lady she was talking to was, you know, telling her what the capacity was. And my sister was like, well, there's no way that's the capacity of, you know, she was, but, you know, it was like a volume issue. <laughs> but it was just, you know, those application skills of, you know, taking what we learned in the math classroom and how does that apply to everyday life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and interesting, because I, I, I taught high school this past year. I didn't teach math, but... Um, I had a study hall where a lot of kids were working on math and I saw a strange thing like apparently they've adopted new curriculum where I'm at and there were a lot of kids that were like this process doesn't make sense like there's an easier way to solve these problems and not not using their phones but it was a different structure there was this different way for them to solve problems and they would try to explain it to me and and I go this is not this is not how I learned that math. And, and I think, you know, like you're saying with the, the truck, you know, example, you got to be able to know some basic math to understand, you know, what you're getting in life. Cause if you order a truck that is, you know, whatever, if you're getting a truck to, to move a mattress or to move a couch, you better darn well know that the mattress or the couch is going to fit. Yes. Yes. Just that those basic skills that, you know, we want kids to just be able to spout off or know in their mind, you know, like we don't want you to have to pull out a calculator every time (laughs) there's some small math problem. Right. Right. All right. So, all right. So, um, I really like your post on the easy way to keep up with student data. What is the importance of keeping up with student data and how can you teach, how can teachers do it more effectively? I think that obviously we know that data is important and we probably have way more data than we actually ever need, you know, between different assessments and benchmarks and all of that. Um, But I think that, you know, setting aside time to actually analyze your data and then like, I think the key point is actually like reflecting on it. Um, So, you know, looking at that data and saying, you know, what is this telling me about my students or our curriculum or um, whatever whatever the standard may be. Um, but it can be really simple. Like, I'm a huge proponent of exit tickets and um, just something super simple where you quickly assess what where your class is when they leave. Um, but, it, you know, it can be more formal. I... Um, I think sometimes it's a lot of, it's really overwhelming because it's like one more thing to do as a teacher. Um, but it really can be so helpful from year to year, but even just, you know, making immediate changes between like one class period and the next. Um, and one of the things that I loved that I had when I was teaching was, um, this was called the classroom performance system by the instruction. And essentially it was like these little remote type clicker devices where students mm-hmm. would type in answers and all of, and you know, multiple toys where they could type in right. And it was awesome. Like, I love that, and I probably used it, you know, several days out of the week because it was just immediate, and um, it did a lot of the analysis for me, and I could just, you know, make a small tweak based on that just really quickly. Mm-hmm. I love it. I, I use those myself. I use I was still just using the 
Mm. And then for them to meet it. So they never knew what it felt like to accomplish that goal. You know, so yeah. you can talk this, but if they've never seen it, they've never done it. So I remember one kid, um, a few years ago, I had to really, like, go back to the bare base and say, look, we're going to go here, start here. Super duper low kid, academically, but he tried hard. And so I told him, I say, let's use your effort. And she said, I'm, I'm going to show you how your effort is going to equate to your growth. And as I started working with him on little things that I knew he knew, simple things like multiplication and division table, you know, understanding fast facts. And I watched, he watched himself get better. And when he set a goal, he watched how he, you know, did everything to strive to accomplish that goal. So that when it got bigger, and the goal got bigger, and it took longer to get there, that same resilience that he showed when he was trying to beat himself, he kept doing it. But it was just simply no one had ever took time to show him how to set a goal, how to measure your goal, and how to work for it. You know what I mean? Like... Have you ever encountered that within your students? Oh, totally. You know, typically those kids that just, you know, school is not their thing or that's what they, you know, like to believe. And um, But those sometimes are like, I mean, those are some of the easiest goals or kids to, you know, motivate because once they see it and they kind of taste like, oh, I can do this, you know, it's just mm-hmm. kind of what you said, like, then it, it kind of snowballs. Um but I think, I think one thing that you said that was really valuable is, like, starting small <laughs> and something very attainable for them to meet to establish, like, that feeling of success. Um, so what are some of your best tips for teacher organizations, for teachers to get involved in? Okay. So I thought about – I was thinking about this one, and – I think because every teacher is like, you know, every teacher is unique, every classroom is unique. I would just say that, like, for teacher organization, the best thing to do is to, like, figure out what your specific, like, pain point is and, like, solve that first. And I think, you know, we can, like, tons of blog posts or tons of things on social media about, like, all these different ideas that you can implement. Um, But at least for me, like when I actually solved, like, a really big pain point in my classroom, like, that's where I felt the biggest, like, impact. And so, um, for me, that was, like, the paper organization of the math classroom, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. 150 kids, they all have some papers, they're turning in papers. And so, that was, like, my biggest pain point. And so, when I, like, started using what I called, like, my math agenda, it was, like, revolutionary to me. Um, but that might not be a pain point for someone else. And so I think I think it's easy to see all these, like, organizational solutions, but really figuring out, like, what's the biggest problem in your classroom and trying to solve it, you'll just, you know, feel so much better. <laughs> right, just find your tribe, basically. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, everybody has a tribe. Just find your tribe that's going to help fit. It's going to help meet your need of what you need for your individual. Right, and 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 Will can attest to this that um, on the organization scale, we're we're very much on opposite ends, meaning that I am very unorganized and he is very organized. Um, okay, and it's 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 something I've been working on. Um, 
and I'm just, I, I'm very much a spatial thinker. Like I, I want to see things, um, you know, when I'm thinking about them or, or right. So I was the teacher that would like move all of the desks in my room into one like big thing and pull one desk out at a time to try to figure out how I wanted to organize it. Um, I really liked it to, to, to organize by doing, but with you, I'm with you. I, I really struggled on the paper organization. Um, but my, my pain point wasn't, um, keeping them. My pain point was, you know, keeping up with grading uh-huh. and, and getting my, my problem was I would collect the assignments and I'd forget to grade them cause I had stuff going on and then they would pile up. And then it, you know, it compounded as a problem, you know, back to what you were saying about showing students data, like it could be, you know, it could have been a week before, you know, after somebody turned something in that they got it back graded and they're like, I don't even remember what this is, you know? So, so between those two things, I really had to strive to put, you know, organization in place to make sure that when I get an assignment, like it's getting graded and it's getting turned back out, you know, the next day or the day after to prevent, you know, paper piling up, but also to give kids, you know, the, the feedback they need to know where they're at in the class. Yeah, no, I, I agree. The, the paper was hard for me and, um, and just kind of having like a flow to my room, you know, but once, once those problems were solved, like it just made such an impact and then I could kind of deal with the other smaller things. Right. Absolutely. Right. And I was not as organized. I just utilized my clickers so much that I didn't have kids turning papers into me. Uh-huh. Uh, I believe in cruising my classroom, looking for strategies, looking for what kids were doing, looking for the visualization of their thinking and their worth. And I would use that information on my clipboard and the information that they input into the clickers and come up with a composite score of their, their daily grade. Um, so it made it a lot easier for me, and it looked like I was a lot more organized. But that's one of that is one of my struggles. But because I know it, my dad was like that perfection or professional organizer. Like he had every single I'm gonna take myself again. All of his VHS tapes um, in alphabetical order. You know, by genre. You know, he had them written down so he knew they were numbered on the on the side. So if you borrowed one, he would write your name down next to it and pencil it and wait for you to bring it back and. He didn't bring it back. He'd call you, hey, you have my Bruce Willis diehard. You know, the first thing I'm like, oh, God. You know, that that's where I came from. And I'm nothing like that. But I think I'm kind of a, a mixture between that and an organized mess. <laughs> and a very structured organized mess. And, but the clicker system really, really helped me out. That was my lifesaver when I discovered that. And I use, like I said, I use it for every single thing every single time is just about. Well, and I think to, and I think to your point, you know, with the clickers, you know, there's, even if you don't have the clickers, there's so many, um, and I, and I might be kind of skit sliding into our next question, but there's so many websites and different things that, you know, are enabled through the smartphone that you can do a lot of things that are just like the clickers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm regretting right. that statement because I know I just jumped right into your question, Will. No, which is perfect because it's a good segue, so we're good. Um, so what technology do you feel, Noel, works best and most effective in the math classroom? Um, okay, well, we, we already kind of went on and on about the quick 
characters, but I still mm-hmm. love them. That, that's like my number one suggestion. Um, and then I still like dabbling with Google Forms and um, just, you know, Google Classroom and how math can like really be incorporated in that. It's still a little bit difficult for me to wrap my mind around it. Um, but I love this add-on called Equatio, like um, kind of like equation, but it's really helpful for utilizing like digital formats with math equations and just the different symbols that are required that you can't just type into a form. Uh-huh. And that's been really helpful. I really like that. Right. Right. What were the ones that we used, Will, when we went on or when you, when we were, I think it might've been at the Think conference where people could, um, we had a question and they, you know, use a QR code and then they answered and it went right onto our screen. What was that one called? Uh, Padlet. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of people like Blueberry too. Um, mm-hmm. Blueberry? Like Flubaroo? I think I'm Flubaroo. Yeah. Flubaroo. Yeah. I, but yeah, it, it's a very... Um, Something I think it's very similar to Padlet, where you can post a question and have them answer on their phone or, or answer on a computer. So the next question, um, you wrote about change being a verb. Can you can you elaborate on that a bit for our, our listeners? Yeah. Um, so I wrote a, I wrote a blog post. You know, was prompted several months. Earlier, um, when my husband and I were in our um, training for our adoption, um, and so part of the adoption process are you know, just hours and hours of training, and it's focused on children children who come from backgrounds with trauma. And you know, I'm sitting there in these trainings, thinking like, this is so relevant as a teacher. This is um, this would be so beneficial. I wish I had learned this you know, years ago, because I think I would have just been so much better with kids that come from hard places. Um, and so that's kind of the background. So then when I, you know, I heard about the news in Florida and um, it was watching, I just, I, I just thought about how, like, clearly there is, like, there are just children and teenagers that come from this like place of trauma they that we as educators can be more experienced with and we can have this like positive influence on them and so um you know on the blog there's a lot of readers and with middle school students and so we're talking like preteens, early teens um and I just really wanted to advocate for change that each individual can do on their own and so um, you know, that might be like bullying prevention or mentoring in the classroom and just all the different opportunities that we as like adults, not even educators, um, can positively impact kids. Um, one of my experiences was working with um, an organization called um, Kids Hope and they partner with schools and the teachers identify students who are in need of mentors and, you know, it's one kid one mentor, one hour a week. And, and I just had such a positive experience and 
with those kids and um, getting to spend time, whether it was academically or just reading together or playing games. Like, it was just such a positive thing, and it really took such a small amount of time out of my week. And so I was just trying to come up with opportunities for, for people to take small actions in their everyday life that would, you know, promote just, you know, impact kids in a positive way. Right. And I think such a good point, you know, that, that, you know, we, we can say all we want about it, but unless we're doing something, you know, to, to really make an impact. And, and I like what you said that it doesn't have to be, you know, it, it doesn't have to be going out there and campaigning or, you know, it, it can really be anything, but I, I think the important part is that we understand that if we want um, uh, things to change, uh, we have to. I, I think the quote's from an author named Paulo Coelho. He, uh, he wrote in one of his books, the world is changed by your actions, not your opinion. Um, and that's that's a quote that I've, that I've held pretty tightly to, and I think that, uh, that you make a great point that our actions and, and how we you know, deal with those kids. I mean, cause I, I think trauma, I, I grew up very sheltered in, in Northwest Wisconsin. And, and I don't doubt that there were kids that I grew up with that had trauma, but you know, nothing like, you know, what a lot of the kids that I taught in Houston had, or, I mean, I just think, you know, I left Houston two weeks before the flood came and I wonder what kind of trauma that puts, you know, parents and teachers and kids through, you know, during just the school year to have to, to have to deal with that. It, I mean, I think trauma, trauma training should be more prevalent or, or there should be someone who's trained in trauma on, on more school campuses. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I'm going to like totally plug a program. <laughs> um, it's put out by TCU, um, and the, the, program was founded by Karen Purvis, she has since passed, um, but she did a lot of research on, like, trauma, and they created um, a system, it's called TBRI, it's called Trust-Based Relationships um, for Teachers, and they're doing, like, a one-day event in Fort Worth, but I signed up for the simulcast, I think it was, like, $25, which is, you know, not free, but not terribly expensive, um, and it's in August. It's like a full day training, but um, I, don't, I think it might still be open. Um, but I just think it's—I think it's really powerful, and she does a really good job and provides like a lot of videos and examples on how to like approach different situations. And what was it called again, teacher? Oh, um, it's called TRBI. TRBI, okay. For teachers. Awesome. Awesome. So we, we know you got two little guys and we want to be respectful of your time. So we'll, we'll kind of get to the wrap up questions here. Um, so, uh, first wrap up question, and this can be teaching or otherwise, what was the best advice you've been given and, and who was that person that gave it to you? classroom 
you know, frustrated or exhausted or when I, you know, am working on something for me to bring the middle and not really confident in it. Like he just always is able to, um, to encourage me. And I think the thing he tells me most often is like, trust your instincts. Like you, you know, you know, you, you are a teacher, you, um, trust, like trust your instincts in that sense of not to second guess yourself. And so I think that is something that sticks with me a lot when I'm making decisions and when I'm, um, you know, when I was struggling. Nice. Nice. So then, um, if you had to give a, uh, you know, teachers who are struggling one, one piece of advice that you think would have an impact, what would that be? I think that I would encourage a teacher that's struggling to, to really just ask for help. And I think sometimes, you know, especially in, in this day and age when, you know, you can get on Instagram and see these like phenomenal ideas, um, or, you know, if you're struggling, you know, it can feel really isolating in the sense of, oh, I'm sure everyone else is doing fine with this, or I'm the only one feeling like this, or no one else has this problem in their classroom. Um, and so I think, you know, ask for help and, like, really seek out those opportunities. And, you know, one of the things I would say is, like, ask someone else if you can go to their classroom and, like, watch. You know, sometimes we try and, like, read about something or, um, you know, implement this new strategy. But, you know, a lot of us just learn by watching so much better. And so I would... I would say, ask for help. Ask if you can go watch, you know, another teacher and whatever that particular skill set or thing that's difficult. Awesome. So, um, what is the best thing you've read or... And we should expand the question. We, I've been meaning to do that. So what's the best thing you've read or a podcast you've listened to or, or something like that in the last year? Um, well, I thought about that. Okay, this is this is a podcast, I guess. There's a, um, a few things. One is, have you heard of the Enneagram? Mm-mm. Okay, it's like a personality test. It's really fascinating. It's probably more than a test, but it's kind of like the Myers-Briggs or something like that. But it's pretty fascinating. And so that's something I've gotten pretty into and listened to several podcasts about, um, but then as far as uh, teaching-wise, I, I just recently started reading the Wild Card book. It's by um, Hope and Wade King. And it's really quite inspirational and, like, makes you want to just, like, go out there and do your very best and reach all the kids. And, um, and so I think it's really encouraging and probably something that would be, like, really refreshing for teachers to read over the summer. Nice, nice. And your proudest accomplishment to date? Uh, okay. Well, I, obviously I'm a mom, <laughs> so my kids make me proud each and every day. Um, but I think professionally, it's just when your students leave your classroom and they're excited about school. And, um, I have a very specific story in my very first year teaching, which, you know, anyone that has been a first year teacher knows, like, just really don't know what you're doing. You're doing your very best, but um, it's, it's just a struggle. Um, and so I, 
you know, I was doing my very best and I was trying to make learning fun and I had a class with like 30 something kids and it was, I mean, it was a fun class and they were great kids, but you know, it was just difficult. And, um, anyway, several years later, um, one of my former students was headed off to college and he was interviewed in the paper. And I think what he said was really, really special. He said that he learned to love math in my classroom. And I, I think that's just meant a lot to me because, you know, so many kids don't love math and, um, and it was just, um, that's one of those stories you always remember. Nice. That's awesome. Awesome. All right. So before we ask you the last question and, and get you out of here, if people want to connect with you or, uh, you know, see your resources or whatever they might want, what would be the best ways for them to do that? Yeah. Um, I think the easiest way to connect is, um, our website, maneuveringthemiddle.com. Um, we have a blog with lots of teaching ideas and you can um, find out about our math resources and how they can be helpful in your classroom. Um, and then I'm on all the social media channels as well under Maneuvering the Middle. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we do so appreciate you taking the time, you know, away from your, uh, away from your little guys to have a conversation with us. And um, our last question for you today is, what do you want your lasting legacy to be? my legacy as Noelle Pickering and our legacy as Maneuvering the Middle to, to be um, known as an inspirational um, creator of excellent resources and ideas for teachers. And I want um, teachers to feel successful in the classroom and students to be successful in the classroom. And, um, and I hope that we can just be a really tiny piece of that. Awesome. Well, Noelle, thank you so much for, for taking, so uh, taking some time out. We really enjoyed it, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, hopefully. Yeah, I, I appreciate the, the time today, and it was really fun, and I'm excited to see what y'all have coming out in the next couple months.